This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How many of you have been overwhelmed with the reading the last three weeks? Anyone willing to admit it? Okay, four people admitting it and a whole lot of people who said, I've gone to the focus readings, Pastor. I made the turn. All right, well, get, get ready to get back on. I want to make sure you're hearing. Our joy of reading the entire scripture this year is to keep people engaged. Uh, if you're feeling kind of beat up because it was a lot of reading, uh, stay with us. There's a lot to be learned uh, because we, we left First and Second Chronicles, and a couple of you even told me this morning, you're like, what was this proverb thing? What was that all about this past week? Because if you've ever read 31 chapters of Proverbs and tried to read it in one week, uh, wisdom has a way of going in one ear and out the other when you get too much of it too fast. So intentionally, we're just trying to give you a a little bit of it as we go. Uh, But we are indeed uh, looking at Ezra this morning. Now, to remind you of where we've been, to kind of retract some history, remember that there was this united kingdom of Israel. Everybody was together, or so it seemed, until they weren't. Uh, Right after King Solomon, Rehoboam's son, it separates. And the kingdom separates, actually, the Lord told us, because of Solomon's sin. Rehoboam makes it worse, but the Lord said, only because of David have I kept the kingdom together. And it separates under Rehoboam. And then by 722, the whole northern portion of what was the United Kingdom, well, that falls in 722 to Samaria. And then as we go from 605 to 587, the southern kingdom is going to be pushed into exile. It's them being pushed into Babylon. That's the setting for our reading this morning in Ezra. Uh, It's them making their way back. But I take you through some of the history to remember when they went into Babylon, they got comfy. They leaned back in that theater seat. Like one of the big worries this church has not exposed that the construction committee is going to find out about soon is what? Okay, okay, yeah. So you guys all know this, right? Yeah, a couple of you even said, I think maybe a theater will close and we'll be able to get their seats. <laughs> Don't plan on it. But remember, they got comfortable. They thought that Babylon, that maybe seemed bad, wasn't as bad as they once thought, and they were comfortable, and they didn't want to change. So Ezra is the story of the people being told it's time to go back. It's time to go back to the place God had set aside for you so that you could actually be his people, that you could actually follow his instruction, and you might do what? Meditate on the law of the Lord day and night, that you might actually go about doing the things God intended you to do. But a lot of people do what with the Bible? They close it and... There's my Bible. I have one. My grandma gave it to me. It's the family Bible. And when the family comes over, they go, look, see, it's the family Bible. And they show the family inscription on it. And they say, did you see the family Bible? And then they put it right back on the shelf. You see, we're attempting to create new patterns. That's really what this year is about. Create a pattern that reading Scripture is something that you do. Uh, You've probably heard them many different times, and you hear different kind of numbers around what it is, but I've heard roughly around 21 days is what it takes for a new pattern to be instilled in your life. 
Uh, until that point, this is why most people, when they say they're going to go to the gym January 1, most of you who have gym memberships know not to go to the gym from the 1st to the 10th of January. That's, that's your time to take a break. But come somewhere around the 11th or by the 15th, certainly, your gym is back. It's okay. Like, you know, the people you knew, and you're like, yeah, didn't see you for the last few weeks. Yeah, man, I know. You took off too? Yeah. I just did some exercise. I was, I was at the other, and just, you know, I did some, some walking and hiking. Well, we're trying to build a pattern that reading this book becomes who you are because the person who's spoken of in the book is who you want to be with and who wants to be with you. Now, this past year, uh, and actually uh, twice now, I offered the class once. We have a small group that's offering as well. It was a, a class called Letter to the Exiles. Some of you have been going to that on Tuesday evenings. One of our small groups. But I want to kind of set it for you because we've got this idea of what it is to be in exile. Now, whether you attended the class or not, I'll give you kind of a synopsis of it. So it starts with this fundamental principle of Jeremiah 29.7. Now, Jeremiah is speaking to the people and says uh, to them, hey, you're going into exile. You're leaving Jerusalem. It's time to go to Babylon. You didn't meditate on the law of the Lord. You didn't follow his instructions. You didn't do what God said. So punishment's coming your way. God's going to watch out for you, but you're, you're going to have to go spend a little time out. That would be the politically correct thing to say now. We'd say God gives them a time out in Babylon. Jeremiah writes these words, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Uh, and the small group study takes around this approach, which is really, hey, as you are in exile, which any of you born in the Garden of Eden? All right, taking that to be none. Guess what? You are in you're in exile. See, God intended for you to actually be there. So Jeremiah writes and says, hey, so when you go to Babylon, pray for that city, uh, and hey, as they let them do well, because if they do well, you'll do well. Uh, and kind of pray for them, and that kind of this picture that exile is, is something that can't maybe possibly be okay for you. The struggle when we transfer that letter to the exiles to Ezra, which is where we are today, God never suggested through Jeremiah that when they were in exile, they should put the Bible up on the shelf. But that's what they do. See, the word of Jeremiah 27 is pray for that town. Seek their welfare that they might do well, but you need to make sure you are still following my instruction. Still listen to my words. Still stay with me. But that's not what the people do. They get into Babylon. They get their cozy, wonderful Beaver Creek Commons theater seats. They recline in them and they say, Pastor, when we build, we have to have cup holders. <laughs> so you guys wonder if I was listening. I listened. I just never promised any of you cup holders. Some of you are like, no, we're serious, man. Like, cup holders. I know Rodney's like, man, what is this committee getting into? What, what's going to happen to us? It's going to be fun. But so it is for Ezra. As they get in there, they get too comfortable because Babylon is everything they didn't think it would be. It's a place they can get comfortable, a place they can settle. And they're settling, not down, they're settling up. See, that's what's tough. Settling down makes you uneasy. And you're like, oh, I want to go back somewhere else. But when you settle up you can kind of leave some other things behind. So now in Ezra, what we hear is this is the new exodus. The exodus most of you are familiar with is what? 
let my people go. And where are we going from? Egypt. This is the exodus out of Babylon. We've got to get the Babylon out of the people. Because the people have really, really embraced what's happening around them, and they like it. But they don't tell people that they like it. But they've got to get that out. So this new exodus kind of presents a unique piece for us. And Ezra doesn't like what he sees. In Ezra 9, which was our text this morning, in Ezra 9, verse 6 to 15, what we hear about is Ezra praying. And he's praying, saying, how is it that the people might actually set forward? Ezra talks about two different returns, just like the three different phases of the exile that pushed them into Babylon, 605, 597, and 587, 86. Multiple returns happen on the way back. The first is 22 years. 22 years of Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple. And then one year in the second half of them actually being restored again. But these multiple shifts of people coming back. This is what we hear then from Ezra 9 verse 9. The prayer. The prayer that reminds the people we are slaves under, if you were to read the front of this, Cyrus. This whole setting what Ezra we're slaves to who? Cyrus, king of Persia. David's gone. He's dead and buried. Solomon, dead and buried. So's Rehoboam. They've all been buried. But now Cyrus is there. This is not the king they wanted, but it's the king that's letting them go back. For we were slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love. Anybody with me here? Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and... Keep going. And abounding in... Ah, and abounding in steadfast love. See, this steadfast love is called hesed. It's a really awesome Hebrew term that talks about God doesn't change and his love doesn't fall apart. It doesn't fracture. It's always there. It's not just a Joel 2.13 thing. It appears in all over the Old Testament. And we watch it lived out in Christ as he comes. But here we have extended to us his steadfast love. Even though Cyrus is doing things, this steadfast love is coming. But he has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. So this is about, yes, we got to get the Babylon out of us, but God's going to let even this king of Persia, and it's going to be several. It'll be Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes. Uh, Artaxerxes, things are going to get kind of awkward for him uh, when some other people kind of make their way in uh, and they want to kind of cause some wars and other strife. Because Persia's not going to be around forever. Persia is going to find its own challenges that are going to make their way there. The challenges that are coming their way are going to cause even Persia to collapse. But they're building the temple. So what about buildings? You know, buildings without purpose are just structures. So growing up, I think I've shared with you before, but it's Interstate 70 in Maryland, going from Baltimore that heads all the way out uh, to the Midwest and sets there. There was a a gentleman that wanted to build, or maybe it was a whole group, I don't even know, uh, was going to build the ark. Build it out of steel beams. I remember as kids, we'd go out to Western Maryland, we'd drive by, my brother and I would get all excited. We're like, isn't that cool? We're going to get to see the ark. I, I know it's not the real ark, but we get to see what it looked like. It is now the laughing stock of most people who drive on Interstate 70 because to this day, it's still just a few steel beams. You're like, doesn't look like the ark I knew. See, a, a building without a purpose or a building that can't be completed is a real struggle. So the temple built under Zerubbabel, it's got to have a purpose, and the people need to make sure they know what that temple's for. Listen now to a little more. I'm going to read verse 6 through 8. Just, I'm going to read it. 
And maybe you just, I mean, you could look in your Bible, just listen this time to what Ezra is saying. He says, oh my God, I'm ashamed and blush to lift up my face. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have given into the hands of the kings of the land, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, to utter shame as it is today. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord, our God, to leave us a remnant, to give us a secure hold within this holy place, that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. You see, what begins chapter 9 is uh, the people refused to let foreign gods be pushed away from their life. They were just drawing them all in. It just it seemed right. Well, we're in this new place, so we should adopt what they're saying. God's fine with you wearing different clothing. God's fine with you speaking another language. God's fine with you having friends on any part of the globe. He just says, don't you dare ever worship someone else. What's that first commandment again? You should have no other gods before me. None. None. Yeah, but this one's not really a god. Oh, really? That's your excuse? Why? I mean, I'm not really worshiping it. I just don't attend a church anymore. I don't really worship it in the sense that I don't sing a song to it. It has no hymns written about it. I just dedicate all my time to it. And every waking moment I have that isn't involved in work, I give to that new object. But it's not my God. Dot, dot, dot. Question mark, question mark. Yes, it is. Hashtag, you're fooling yourself. That is what follows is verse 9. Yet in this slavery, God, your steadfast love, you have kept us. So for Ezra, as he's looking to this people, he's trying to get them back online. So is influence really a problem? I mean, that's the question of Ezra. Is influence an issue? Is what around you a problem? If you're sitting there, why Ezra? Why would we in 2019 spend time on a Sunday, an entire weekend, to look at Ezra? Because most of us would say, well, influence, I can handle it. I'm getting ready for this. I'm a grown-up. How many of you have said that at some point in probably a different way to your parents? Hey, I'm 18. I know what I'm doing. Until you, yeah. <laughs> and then you do what? Uh, Mom, Dad, um, uh, hey, I got some things that I could really use your help with, and I'd love to come back home. It'd be great if you'd let me come back now. Hey, what happened to all that you 18 and being grown up and not wanting to be under my roof and wanting to do all the things on your own? Well, that was then, and this is, this is now. See, the pressure continues on them. And I want you to think about the pressures that have moved forward. Uh, when we went from Egypt, we had Egypt. Then we went into Canaan, and there were the problems with the Canaanites, and the people couldn't push away Canaan. And then it was Assyria, because Assyria wipes out the northern kingdom. That's the 722 problem. Babylon causes the 587 problem. And then we're going to get Persia is going to cause the next problem for Babylon. And then Alexander the Great is going to come in in 323 B.C., and he's going to wipe out Persia. But even Alexander the Great causes problems because he introduces Hellenism, uh, what in history is sometimes called the Hellenistic whore, because it just absorbs everything, and it creates culture and pulls it all together. And then after Hellenism, what happens? Rome. So God's people just are constantly having what happened to them. Problems. I mean, somebody's got like a little pea shooter, and they're just shooting at you all the time. 
There is no like, oh, 2020 is coming. Yeah, so is 2021, 2022, 2023. 1951 also came, and so did 1847, and so did 1751. But somebody in the years before those years thought what? If only that year would come. And in the midst of it, God's chesed, steadfast love, he is caring for you and trying to get out of you the Babylon that's in you. Because Babylon isn't just at home in the people of Israel. Babylon's at home in you because you've been kicked out of where God intended you to be. Because Apex can say it's the peak of good living, but this is not the Garden of Eden, brothers and sisters. It's not. I think it's a fine place to be. Some of you are like, we know, because Carrie is better. And then others are like, that's why I live in Chatham County. I get it. I get it. But as we look to it, realize God's trying to do something bigger in your life. Get that problem out of you and let God be in there. This pattern of us reading the scripture that you start to hear it. Some of you are saying names now that you have probably not known regularly in a long time. Like some of you are like, wow, for the first time, I kind of know that Solomon's David's son. I had forgotten that. And I didn't know Rehoboam was a real king. I just knew it was like a Boam. Now I actually know he existed. See, God's reshaping and reforming you. But the real warning isn't about Babylon. And it's not about physical death. See, the prayer that Ezra gives to you is about your spiritual death. See, this is the part we don't always talk about. Listen to the rest of the prayer. I'm just reading it to you. This is 10 to 12. So Ezra chapter 9, verse 10 through 12. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, the land that you are entering to take possession of, it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore, not, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. See, and this is where you kind of sit there going, well, what was Jeremiah up to? Jeremiah was reminding that if you're seeking their welfare, you have to make sure you're still following God's word. The people stopped following God's word and sought the welfare for the sake of the welfare of the foreign people. It's fine to help somebody else. But don't you dare for a minute forsake God and you're trying to help someone else. Well, I just want to make sure that, that they're honored and I have to lift them up. You can lift anyone up you want, but don't ever lift someone up and push God down. God always gets the first seat. Always. You shall have no other gods before me. Nothing else rises before that. But Ezra continues in his prayer. Ezra 9 verse 13. And after that, that all has come up before us, all our evil deeds and all our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us. You ready for this? You have punished us less than our iniquities deserved. See, God could have done so much more to his people. He had every reason to wipe them out again. He promised he wouldn't do it in a flood again, but certainly there were a whole lot of other calamities that could have struck the earth. But God in his chesed, his steadfast love, doesn't do that. He actually draws the people back and says, I'm still going to take care of you. Now, you heard in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. And I want you to start kind of thinking that through in your mind as we just wrap on Ezra, and we're going to look to see what God's really up to. And he said to them, son, you're always with me. You see, this prodigal son 
that takes us back. Let me just go back for a, for a quick second, take you back to Ezra. After all, this, less than you deserved. Ezra 9 verse 15 has it in this way. O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. No one. Ezra goes, nobody has the right to do this, and God's still watching out for us. And then we get to that prodigal son. Listen to a portion. It's the portion we don't always talk about, because the prodigal son makes us focus on who? The lavish lifestyle, and then we get to talk about drinking and prostitutes and all this stuff, and you're like, well, I saw all that on my Saturday night programming. I know, television's atrocious now. And some of you are like, I don't get to watch as much. I'm reading the Bible. Pastor's like, whoop, whoop, it's working. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you're like, I don't get to watch my program as much. I'm behind. I don't get to binge watch. I'm reading the Bible. <laughs> Sorry. So here's the prodigal son portion that we don't focus on. Luke 15, 25 to 30. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother's come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me the young goat that I celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. You made me get up at 8 o'clock in the morning to set up church. You made me set up speakers. You made me be an usher. You made me set up a coffee pot. You made me set up a trailer. You made me be in an office. You made me do all these different things, Lord. I deserve something. (laughs) You know what God said? He says the same thing to you that he said to that young man who got so focused on what he was doing. He said to him, son, you get this? This is love, man. Son. He actually calls him his son, though he'd asked for his dad to be dead. People are not known for giving out inheritance before they die. He literally divided his property and gave all of it, and the son spent all of it. Son, you are always, always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this is your brother who was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. I know the history of this church is different than other churches you've been with. I know there's lots of stuff we do that others don't. But God's with you right now. God's actually doing this thing, so it's not, oh, I had to get up early. I had to do this. I had to. No, God's with you. You are not alone. God cares for you. So growing up, how many of you are, are firstborn? Okay. So I'm assuming the rest of you aren't. Is that right? Cool. Okay. Awesome. So all those who didn't raise your hand, interesting thing about being born second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever your number is, you watch the person who went before you. I hope you guys who were second and third, did you learn something? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So sorry, firstborn. <laughs> Just talking to those who weren't firstborn right now. You learn things and realize I have to learn from what happened and things will be better. So as I went through life, I realized if I asked my parents things, sometimes they'd actually let me do it. So I talked to my brother about different things, and he's like, man, I didn't know I could ask that. They said yes. I'm like, I know. It's pretty cool. Now, my brother and I, we get along, but I share this with you. God's with you right now. Are you asking him 
to be a part of your life every day? Are you inviting him to be there? Are you the person who figures you have it all figured out? You're the firstborn who's like, I'm going to chart the way. I'm going to do it all on my own. And I'm not just talking to you firstborns anymore. I mean everybody. Because when it comes to God, there's a lot of firstborn in all of us. Because our first priority is us. And God wants to break that in you. He wants to break you thinking you're the firstborn and realize you're not the firstborn. My son, Jesus Christ, is the firstborn of all creation. And in being connected to him in the waters of baptism through the word that's revealed, you have more than enough. God has gotten the Babylon out of you. We don't just sing the song, I lay my sins on Jesus, because it's a song. It actually reminds you. Isn't that interesting? You have a child this morning who asks, what do you do in church? And they say, well, we sing song because it tells us God's story. They didn't say, we sing the song because it's got a neat beat. They didn't say, we sing the song because I like the tempo. Isn't that weird? Kids get it. It actually tells us something about this Jesus that my parents, grandparents, neighbor, or friend wants me to know. But as we get older, what do we say? I wish my church just had some, you know, the good music. I just hope that our church always has the good teaching. And the music will echo that. It's what it does. But don't ever lose your eyes on the sight of who's at the center. Christ our Lord, who has taken the sin out of you, who has taken the battle on out of the people, who has reminded us his love is never failing. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.